Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Butter With That, a podcast where some friends from Philly get together to talk all things movies. I am joined, as per usual, by my cohorts, Connor, Christine, and Sam. Hey, guys, how are you doing? Doing good. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm hanging in there. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've died inside a little bit, Um, maybe like two and a half weeks ago and I'm just like a shell of the human I once was or or a ghost at this point but you know a ghost who is still enjoying movies and what more could you want I feel as though that's the weekly report yeah but <laughs> well <laughs> because you. it's been like two and a half weeks. <laughs> it is a that's true <laughs> um we are of course happy to be returning to our fighting and families theme uh, that's something that we've been discussing over the past several weeks and something that will be uh, certainly coming to blows with this week's episode. But before we get into that, we, of course, want to thank the Movie John Podcast Network that we're a part of and acknowledge the other suite of really great podcasts that you can access wherever you get your pods or specifically through moviejohn.com if you're so inclined. A very, very cool network that we're happy to be a part of and uh, host of a lot of really great shows. And uh, obviously, uh, I think we, you know, we're all a little, uh, a little burned out. It's been a busy month for all of us, but uh, we've still had an opportunity, as Sam has alluded to, to absorb some good media. So, what have you guys been checking out? So, I've been watching mostly some catching up on some television. I mentioned last week what we do in the shadows, but I watched the first episode of Doom Patrol, and. Over the course of only one episode was like, oh, my God, the show is going to be amazing. Then, oh, my God, the show is terrible. And then, oh, my God, I think I could continue watching this. So oh, even just over the course of one hour, I went through quite a, a, a roller coaster of response, mental responses, or maybe 45 minutes. But um, I think I'm going to give it a sh- the second episode uh, ago uh, to really uh, nail how I, how I feel about it. So that, that's my initial reaction. That's a lot of mixed feelings for one episode of television. Well, truly, because I didn't really know a whole, all I knew was Brendan Fraser as robot. And I was like, okay, I can dig that. And I was loving being introduced to all the characters, but then when it was ramping up to like first, bit of conflict i was like this is dumb as shit and then i was like okay no i really should just keep going uh and so yeah i'm I'm gonna continue to be continued nice we'll check in i started uh fulfilled um on a promise not promise but i said on in my hush episode that i was gonna check out midnight mass mike flanagan's new show and it is interesting I don't really want to give judgment yet. I've seen, I think, four episodes. And I don't really know where it's going in not the best way. I'm like, okay, like, what's this show's angle? What's it trying to say? What's its deal? What are the theme? Like, what's... I don't know. I mean, the acting's good. Like, it looks good. Like, it's, you know, like a well-produced show. But it's just not quite clicking with me yet. Um, so I've heard by the time you get to the end, people love it or hate it. It seems very divisive in that way. So I definitely will finish it. Like I'm interested in kind of seeing where the plot goes along and there's some big twists and turns that just happened. But overall, I'm not feeling too hot on it. Interested, we'll finish it over the next couple of weeks, but 
yeah, I don't know, kind of unsure of what, of what to make of it, which is interesting. And so we'll see kind of how it wraps up. Um, due to my ghost status, I've really just been returning to some of my old haunts, <laughs> some of my <laughs> comfort movies and TV shows. So I actually watched, I started watching Turn again, which Alana, if you're listening to this, um, Alana said that that's the, the, like the bat signal for me being in a dark place. Um, <laughs> so it kind of is. I'm, I'm okay but um i started to rewatch that and you know what like damn it's a good show <laughs> what a turn well lana if you're listening uh reach out see how we're doing uh speaking of how we're doing uh this has been quite an emotional theme uh as we've we dove into warrior which was for me uh wa- the first episode that i was i was, I was holding back uh, uh, choking up a little bit. It was a very emotional conversation, a uh, very emotionally dynamic movie, and one that was really fun to talk about via our fighting and families theme. We also had one that was a little bit less emotionally turbulent, but also a whole lot of fun last week, which was uh, not Warrior, but The Warriors, that Connor's pick, which was a lot of fun to discuss. And continuing that theme today, uh, we are getting into a movie that is, uh, I think, rather emotionally draining. I've seen it several times, uh, and every time it still packs a punch, no pun intended. And that would be uh, 2008's Fox Searchlight film by Darren Aronofsky, The Wrestler. Uh, So this movie, for those who are uninitiated, uh, has... uh, a plot synopsis is rather simple, but I've laid out uh, pretty thoroughly because I think it will probably be a discussion where we're not breaking down every scene or we're not we're not necessarily dissecting everything. So just as a broad summary, uh, and if you haven't seen the movie, spoilers ahead, but um, this a broad and spoiler filled summary of the film, uh, that being that Robin Ramzinski, better known by his pro wrestling moniker, Randy the Ram Robinson, has aged out of his former stardom and finds himself struggling to stay afloat. After agreeing to and training for a 20th anniversary rematch with wrestler the Ayatollah, Randy suffers a heart attack, sidelining his wrestling aspirations for good. He takes a profession at a local deli uh, in a local grocery store and at the suggestion of Cassidy, a professional dancer who herself is aging out of relevance at a club that Randy frequents, he decides to reach out to his estranged daughter. After struggling to balance his newfound priorities with old habits, Randy misses a promised dinner with his daughter, which in effect destroys their fragile reconciliation. His relationship shattered, Randy returns to the only family he feels he has left, fans of his wrestling career, at the promised rematch. After struggling through chest pains during the match, Randy mounts the turnbuckle to deliver his signature diving headbutt, the Ram Jam, jumping out of frame and leaving the audience to decide whether or not he survives. Uh, that more or less the movie because I figured we were going to go broad with this and probably discuss a lot more in terms of theme and a lot more in terms of character. Uh, so that in essence is what you can expect if you haven't seen it before, but has anybody here seen it before? I think this might be everyone's first time. I saw it in theaters when it came out. Okay, Christine. So this is uh, as this is a revisit for you. This is number two for me. Yeah. Okay. And for Connor and Sam, this is uh, your first round. Yep. First time seeing it. 
So uh, I do have some production notes that I'm going to get into after we give some some general impressions, but uh, I've seen it a number of times. It's still impactful every time for me and one that I was really looking forward to talking about. I have mixed feelings about Aronofsky's catalog in general, but I think this is perhaps his strongest film in my opinion. We'll see whether or not that's agreed upon. But what did you guys think of The Wrestler, uh, starting with Christine as someone who's seen it before? Yeah, so I saw it when it came out, and uh, back in 2008, I was kind of a an emotional wreck through the movie. I think in part by I was I, moved by the movie, but also it, watching it took me back to like 2008, and I remember the movie theater I saw it in, and I was just I think going back into a nostalgic emotional. Journey, But I'll say that I remembered liking it when I saw it in theaters. And I think the second rewatch really drove home what is so great about this movie. I think it's a this movie like is about like the body. It's like story through physicality, through blood, through scars. And I think Mickey Rourke's performance is so strong uh, through both like his physicality, but also he has chemistry with literally every person he interacts with and you really get swept up in that uh per, that the person he's conveying and that charisma and and I think that I think the movie does also a great job of recognizing his shortcomings like he can't un, in moment key moments he he doesn't understand boundaries uh especially with women in his life whether it's his daughter or, or Marissa Tomei but Marissa Tomei's performance is so fucking good. And they both, Mickey Bork and Tomei, are great counterparts. Like, both performers, or like, their characters are performers who are confronting, Dave, as you said, that notion of aging uh, in industries that are all about, like, artifice and, and body uh, and, like, presenting the body in front of an audience, whether you're a professional dancer or a professional wrestler. And so I, I just... Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, the movie really kind of took me to like through an emotional uh, roller coaster of sorts. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely understand that. And this being Connor and Sam's first time seeing the film, how did uh, how how was your first match with uh, Mickey Rourke and Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler? Overall, I think it was different than what I expected. I think after watching Warrior and The Warriors, I was kind of like pumped up for kind of high emotion, high action. And it's kind of like a slow burn in a way. I don't know if that's like quite the right phrasing, but it was like just the pace was a lot slower than I thought it would be. Not in a bad way, just in like where we really get time um, to sit with the wrestler, sit with his life, see his, you know, him struggle. Uh, Christine, I love how you highlighted his relationship with women uh, and also his daughter played by young Evan Rachel Wood, which I um, thought was kind of cool. And so, yeah, overall, I think I really enjoyed it. It was in my favorite movie of all time. I don't think so, but it was definitely one worth watching and an interesting choice for and a great choice for this theme. Because I think what happened, you know, what the themes of this movie, what happens in this movie, I think fits right at home with what we've been talking about so far this month. And we'll talk about next week. So this movie took me, I think, twice as long to watch because I had to take breaks. I cried off and on throughout the whole film. Mm -hmm. I think that there's something so earnest and endearing about 
Brandy that just like pulls you in. I mean, he, you know, the charisma, Christine, that you mentioned, it's even with the the viewer, I think. And, you know, I, I can't help but feel like Randy's part of my family. He just reminded me a lot of the the troubles that I have seen family members deal with. And so like it felt really like at home for me. And it also and we had been talking about this before, how emotional and full of heart this theme is of fighting in family, focusing on like wrestling and, and, and fighting. Like, I can't believe that this is probably going to be one of our most emotional months, but in a way, <laughs> I, I suppose that sort of makes sense. Um, and this movie reminded me a lot of Over the Top. I think like specifically because of the estranged relationships between Randy and his daughter, but like Randy and a few other people too. But this like washed up feeling of recognizing that like your time has come and gone. Um, it, it hurts. It really hurts. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely a struggle in that regard. And yeah, very, a very emotionally tender movie and some very incredible pathos and and realism brought to life through mickey rourke in a meta way that we're going to cover uh, briefly in the production notes um before we get to those uh, i would also like to quickly ask uh, as i've stated when we when we dove into the warrior um or warrior i really wasn't I, i'm really not someone who finds themselves drawn either in film or in reality to um more uh, objectively brutal contact sports, things like boxing, things like MMA. But to be honest, professional wrestling holds a very, very near and dear place in my heart, or at the very least did in a really impactful way when I was younger, uh, in a way that I very rapaciously followed and was really absorbed in. So going around the horn, did you guys really have any kind of investment or interaction in your younger years or to this day with professional wrestling, be that WCW, uh, it back in the day, ECW or the WWF, now the WWE? So I'm kind of embarrassed to say that that, that I'm pretty sure it was this movie that like clued me into the fact that like wrestling is like choreographed and stage like I really because I distinctly remember watching this movie and being like oh it's so interesting how they're like all going through the moves that they're gonna do and wait are there like official winners or is it pre-stage and so like in short I didn't historically have a lot of uh a big I wasn't watching wrestling and really it was this movie that really uh pulled back the curtain for me as far as uh, what wrestling is and uh, how, like, yeah, the performance element of it. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of lifted the veil a little bit. It lifted the veil. Yeah. But now at this stage in my life, I do, <laughs> I am a little bit smarter, not by much, but. <laughs> when I was studying theater in college, that's when I kind of realized what wrestling was kind of all about. Cause there's, there's some theater kids who absolutely love professional wrestling for this for the choreograph, the storylines, like really. Um, and so I, I gained an appreciation for like the craft of professional wrestling. Can't say I ever 
enjoyed watching it. <laughs> I've tried. Some friends really tried. Um, but I definitely in college gained like a bigger respect for it. And so I think what this movie does well is all, yeah, providing like a glimpse into this world. And I thought it was interesting seeing them like talk during the fight. Like, I don't know how these things are set up or staged, but I thought like a great, this was a great like behind the scenes look at like what wrestling is really like. It wasn't interesting from like that perspective as well. Like it was cool that that element was in there. I feel like this has always been on the periphery of my life. Like I've never been into it myself, but it's been there. It's been present. And it almost feels like something I knew was eventually coming for me. Um, And I was aware of like the showmanship of it and how things are predetermined. But, you know, on the other hand, for as as fake as some things might be, it's so real that the the trauma that the body goes through. I mean, um, I can't remember what the guy's name is, but when when Randy is fighting the guy who like literally puts staples in his body, like mm-hmm. when he's recovering from that, like he's being stitched up and stuff. I don't even know what is in his back, but I saw all of those pieces. Like they they just have to rip it out of his body and they're not even using like stitches or anything. They're gluing it back together. I Mm -hmm. it's like, this is, it's actually so real. Yeah. The sort of blurred lines between actual physical damage and performative damage. Um, And also that being deeply steeped in character and the sort of, um, heel versus face tradition in the lingo and parlance of, of professional wrestling. So that's something that we're going to return to at, toward the end of the episode. I do have a couple of notes on that. But before we dive into that, uh, I just did want to give uh, some production notes to give some context to this movie. Uh, a lot has been said about this movie, specifically about Mickey Rourke, um, that we're going to dive into. First, uh, just to highlight how well this movie did it it was a modest six million dollar budget and that in 2008 uh went on to gross 44 million dollars um so a pretty resounding success and that largely off the heels of um of aronofsky's reputation at the time he had done requiem for a dream he had uh, graduated to the fountain which is a movie i don't care for but a lot of people like thank you christine for that yeah i i tend to agree um we also then went on to uh after this to black swan which i thought was a pretty interesting film and then after that uh mother which is a pretty hotly debated movie um so he's a pretty pick a prickly character this darren aronofsky he tends to uh to polarize audiences one in one way or the other but this is one where it did seem as though he found a unified audience reception at least in terms of critics and audiences whether or not that's true of uh, professional wrestlers we'll see later on but uh, as far as Mickey Rourke is concerned uh, it's it's considered in a way kind of a meta film in the sense that his career was very much on the ropes uh, no pun intended in a lot of ways as well at the time after a profitable career in the 1980s he left acting to become a professional boxer uh, following his retirement in 1994, he underwent reconstructive surgery as his face had become, according to some, quote, appallingly disfigured, which is pretty intense. Um, following then several failed attempts to re-enter films as a leading man, he was uh, able to hit his stride in 2005's Sin City uh, and then subsequently earned a nomination for Best Actor for The Wrestler in 2009's Academy Awards, losing out to Sean Penn for the titular role of Harvey Milk. Uh, He did, however, go on to win a BAFTA and a Golden Globe for the performance. Aronofsky actually wrote the part of Randy with Rourke in mind. Uh, The studio was at the time pressuring Aronofsky to cast Nicolas Cage for the role, 
Uh, Aronofsky would go on to claim that Cage stepped down out of willingness to support Aronofsky's casting of Rourke, but Cage would later deny the claim, saying that he was apprehensive about the role due to the demands of sculpting his body for the role and the necessary use of steroids. Uh, so that is why Nick Cage ultimately wasn't in the film, which I think, you know, it would have been interesting if Cage was. It's much better that he's not, especially given the tone of this work. Uh, Rourke, though, was apprehensive as well. Uh, he had his own doubts. He said, quote, I really didn't care for the, much for the script, but I wanted to work with Darren, and I kind of thought that whoever wrote the script hadn't spent as much time around these kinds of people, and he wouldn't have spoken the way the dude was speaking. And so Darren let me rewrite all of my parts, and he put the periods in and crossed the T's. So once he made that change, I was okay with it. So it sounds like Rourke was apprehensive initially, but uh, Aronofsky allowed him the freedom as a professional boxer and someone who at at the very least had worked in contact sports and, and the stardom and fandom of that to reframe his character. It's so interesting to me that the similarity between The Wrestler and Warrior is that the the folks who wrote it had specific people in mind. Like mm-hmm. Nick Nolte was in mind for the, the father and Warrior, and you have Mickey Rourke here. It's, you know, not to, like, I feel like I always do this and I don't mean to, but how often with maybe the exception of Meryl Streep, how often does this like renaissance of career of people writing um, movies specifically for an actress, like how often does that happen? I don't know, but it, it's just fascinating that in, in, in one theme, uh, we were able to find two of those movies. Yeah, I think that's no small coincidence here, especially given that we're discussing characters that are, you know, have a certain physical stature that have a, a certain athleticism. So I think that it makes sense, uh, specifically in Hardy's case, for him to have been cast in The Wrestler and very, er, in yeah, in Warrior. And uh, to a certain degree, similarly, Rourke being cast here, especially because he had lived experience as a professional boxer. But also in terms of the kind of meta reality of him being an, an actor who had aged out of relevance uh, and pursued a different career and then tried to come back at the same time that we are seeing Randy the Ram, his character, uh, sort of aging out of his own relevance and then trying desperately to return to his heyday. And Rourke, uh, you know, gives it, it by by all accounts, but it, at least in my opinion, a pretty towering performance. Uh, how do we feel that he does as Randy the Ram? Uh, it's, it sounds as though earlier on he's he's in our opinion, pretty committed to and pretty immersed in the role. But do we think that he brings Randy to life in meaningful and interesting ways, given his experience? I wanted to just, when thinking about Randy, the character, one moment that really stood out to me is when, this is jumping ahead um, quite a bit into the film, but when he has his bypass surgery because he had a heart attack, uh, he's back, he has the funds, like it's what, like maybe 300 bucks, 400 bucks from this performance where he had a heart attack. Yeah. Um, he's able to get back into his trailer in the trailer park. And then he invites this one kid over to play the Nintendo with him, as he calls. Um, and it's an NES game of himself fighting Ayatollah and him like trying to connect with this kid. The kid's like, oh, I, you know, Call of Duty 4. He's like, Call of what? Like he can't hear. It just sounds kind of like an old man. Like I thought, but like reliving this video game and the kid says, oh, this is so old. 
like I thought that was such an amazing scene of like seeing his character. Like we see him kind of living in this sad trailer alone, him reaching out to these kids. He's still living in the past, having a hard time connect. Like I thought that scene was just really beautiful and just a great character moment uh, for Rourke's performance and for Randy as a character. Oh yeah. And even before then, when locked out of his trailer, when he is stuck in his van after a match, there are the plastered posters and images of him from his prime from the 1980s that are there in his van to comfort him as he is locked out of his trailer and having to, you know, dose himself to sleep because of the pain he's in. And I think both Rourke's performance and the way the character's written, uh, both do a great job of conveying a character that certainly is, would love to relive the glory days and the fame and the, uh, recognition that came with that but at the same time you see more mundane moments in his day that he derives joy from like he'll when he's locked out of his trailer and he sleeps in his van overnight and then opens the doors the next morning all the neighborhood kids Mm -hmm. are around the back door and want to wrestle with him and you can tell he clearly loves that and it really it's like human connection is what he he wants and certainly you know he's looking through the clippings of his great fights and all that and like you can tell that he wants to rise again but you but at the core of him also is not just an older guy recycling his glory days but an but a man really trying to figure out how to stay connected with people and like find little moments of 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 joy and uh and yeah, as, as I said, and connectedness. And I, and I think Rourke does a really wonderful job of doing that. And in the dips of his like sadness, you also see smi- like these little smiles on his face and this little moments of levity. And, and I think, as I said before, Rourke like has this like ability to just bring, draw people in and you can, and I wonder if the people that he encountered also are like, Ooh, this is like, Nikki work from the old day, you know, so like people are excited to like see him, but yeah, I, I think his performance really is grounded in that, in that energy of, of desiring connection and interpersonal. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. I don't know. And I'm glad you brought up that scene in particular that I think is one of the more touching scenes for me in the film where he emerges after having been woken up from these kids pounding on his van after he's been locked out and has, has had to sleep off the damage of a night's match in his van, just these kids pounding on the window, shouting, Ram, Ram, get up, get up. And immediately he just throws the back doors open and starts mock wrestling these kids. It's really great. We also see him really cutting it up with other people too. Like when he is trying to get his life on track and he gets the job at the deli and, you know, his his shitty boss who, you know, watches porn in his back office played with pitch perfect condescension and cruelty by Todd Barry comedian Todd Barry, who's really great. I love that guy. And he does such a good job with being so cruel and cutting about it. But we, we, we get Rourke walking out through the back stock area to the counter, to the roar of an unseen crowd. This kind of juxtaposition between him longing to do what he's great at and having to make compromises. But even then when he's serving customers, uh, he's great at it. Like he's extremely personable. He's always performing, like just throwing things to people, cutting it up with like these casual nicknames with every customer. And apparently part of that was that half the folks in the deli line were not actual actors, but were customers approaching a deli counter while they were filming. That's incredible. You know, like hit like his work with people 
is is so fascinating to me because I feel like he treats every single person the exact same, no matter you know mm-hmm. what position they're in or how old they are. And something that really impressed me is, and then left me with questions, is how other wrestlers viewed him. And so, you know, my 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 question is: Has Randy been wrestling this whole time? And I asked that because you'd think that as time went on, his peers would start to mock him a little bit to be like, you know, you're getting old. It's time to get out of here. Um, And people would be like, you know, I I don't know if people want to see you anymore. Right. Like the market's oversaturated with more talent. People, people don't want to see that anymore, but that's like completely not the case. And the, the amount of respect that every single person has, like he just has to make one phone call and he can like really get what he needs, what he wants. And so like, I wonder like, what he was like at his peak for him to to create such a reputation like that and and maintain it. I think that too is part of the wrestling world though. I mean, professional wrestling, it tends to be a very interconnected on, on an industrial level, the WWE, then, then the WWF uh, has come under a lot of crossfire for a lot of mistreatment and uh, an industrial failings of their performers. Uh, and that's that's hotly debated depending upon who you ask, but that is sort of, at least in the wake of the Attitude Era where people were taking chairs to the head every night has, has been brought into question. But at the same time, the wrestlers themselves as an insular community, as I understand it, and as this film explores, uh, is really a very interconnected and very mutually respectful environment where... As Christine, you've alluded to, the, the illusion is a little bit shattered where we we get, and I'm so glad this movie makes time for this, where we get the wrestlers walking through their matches, their moves, or their, quote, spots, as they're known in the industry. There's a sense of camaraderie. Um, and this is all all through the, the vernacular of professional wrestling. We get things like um, wrestling banter, like cheap heat, um, which is just stoking the crowd up as a heel. We get um, getting color, which is when one razors uh, themselves uh, in order to have a head wound that bleeds very, very expressively. Um, we get uh, getting color the hard way, which is when you don't razor yourself and you naturally bleed in a match. So there's a whole vernacular to to the industry and a whole like insular sense of mutual responsibility as performers in in planning and staging matches while still pushing the envelope that is very clearly laid out here, especially early on in the film. I mean, and you really see that to jump to the final fight where you see how Randy is definitely having issues with his heart in mid-match. And then you hear his opponent just encouraging him being like, we can finish this quickly. Like, just do the moves you need to do to finish me and then we can get out of here. Like I can see you're struggling. And I loved that, that those sort of inside moments uh, of those conversations back and forth. And to your point, Dave, it really reinforces what a cooperative dynamic it is. And really, and I mean, that that's a performance, right? It's like performers mm-hmm. feeding off one another and supporting one another. And even in the match when he's fighting the guy who like staples dollar bills to his forehead, which was so hard to watch. The hardcore match, yeah. 
we do hear them talk about it beforehand. And the guy's like, how do you feel about the staple gun? And Randy's like, is it going to hurt? The guy's like, no shit, it's going to hurt. Like, he doesn't say that, but it's like, you know, the understanding is yes, you will hurt. And I, you get the sense from that, like if Randy were at the top of his game, he probably would have opted out maybe of like a match like that. That doesn't seem to be like, cause that was his first time getting like staple gunned. I think the the scene is suggesting, but I don't know. Maybe that was like his thing in his heyday, but. That's a super interesting thing this movie does. It's very aware of time and place in the history of professional wrestling because the first match that we get is a, a, kind of a more like attitude era match with like, you know, occasionally there's a chair, uh, but it is kind of like the fundamentals which was like the the mid 90s into the late 90s. Um, but at the same time, you did also have independent matches, lower lower tier, lower budget, lower reputation matches through things like ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling, which were way more brutal. People, It was basically constant hardcore matches where it was almost no holds barred. If you want to bring tax into the ring, if you've got a staple gun, in some cases it drew from Japanese uh, deathmatch wrestling, where sometimes there would be explosive turnbuckles, very high octane, high impact wrestling that went on in the nineteen late nineteen nineties, and then and then graduates back in his final fight to more WCW esque traditional wrestling of the nineteen eighties with the Ayatollah, where it's not a hardcore match; these are holds, these are throws. Making the distinction between those things as far as era and the history of wrestling as as we see his his few matches in this film progress really does get at the heart of those three lead uh, sub-factions of professional wrestling, the WWE, then the WWF, which was the Attitude Era, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of props, but not too high intensity quote unquote, uh, ECW, which was just mayhem and WCW, which is more traditional wrestling. That's interesting. I didn't, I would not have picked up on, uh, the chronology of those particular traditions or styles of match. I am living for how much Dave loves this. I like, (laughs) I love this. And we're also, I mean, you know, hey, this is a podcast from Philly. Eastern Pennsylvania and New Jersey are kind of the national epicenter of professional wrestling. And it's also the second movie that we've discussed in our fighting and families theme that has uh, iconically featured um, iconically featured Atlantic City. Uh, speaking of which, I mean, we've talked uh, a bit about, about the Rams experience in the ring and the cost. And one thing that I think is really interesting, too, is that hardcore match was the most brutal match in the film. Very reminiscent of an ECW match, Extreme Championship Wrestling, which is pretty brutal. I really appreciate that we get the end of the match, the aftermath, where he's... Uh, it, it, and they are very good about medical aftercare in these the, those kind of matches, where it's when you get your staples removed, it's when you get glued up, it's when you get medical attention. But we're seeing them get each of these individual wounds patched up and seen to... And then juxtaposed with cutting to, it literally says 14 minutes earlier. And we see the hardcore match that inflicted each individual blow that is being treated, which I think is stylistically awesome. And I'm glad it only does it once in the movie, but it's really cool that it does it. Um, you almost think you're going to be spared having to rewatch the match. And then Aronofsky's like, no, we're going to go blow by blow. <laughs> right. And and to better understand the toll, uh, which is when Ram is 
Brandy is pushed over the edge and eventually has his, his, his heart attack. But having talked about his time in the ring, uh, having covered the fighting, uh, we also have to cover family. We also have to cover Randy's connections to other people, and specifically that being his relationship to Cassidy or Pam, uh, depending on how well you know her, uh, that a, a dancer and performer at a club that Randy frequents, who again is played by Marissa Tomei, who is a little bit older uh, as that kind of performer, um, and also his relationship with his estranged daughter, played by Evan Rachel Wood. How do we feel about those dynamics with Randy? I mean, I had uh, mentioned it before, but I you you really rooting for uh, reconciliation between Randy and his daughter, but you also recognize that as she as what's the daughter's name? It's Evan Rachel Wood playing. I can't remember the daughter's name. Stephanie, uh, but. Steph- oh, right. It's the S for Stephanie because he gets the yes, green jacket. Um, but Stephanie clearly outlines like you weren't there when I needed you and you basically left our family and you see Randy recognizing and, and really trying to reconcile with his daughter. But he he kind of pushes the bound. You know, he he's he's sort of being invasive, like he follows her to her house uh, and even after I had, they have a nice little day outing to Atlantic city. He makes a date to get dinner with her. doesn't show up, shows back up to her house and is, is persistent. And you see in this persistence in other ways as endearing, but in even his persistence with, uh, Pam uh, or Cassidy, you can see him pushing boundaries like a little too far. Mm-hmm. Um, and and maybe that is the movie's way of hinting at the way he was like was with people, a lot of people, you know, maybe when he was more famous and being, being more successful is like is not recognizing boundaries or. Yeah, I don't know. But I, I think the movie maybe uh, gets a little bit. Melodramatic. No, I don't know. I'll, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was, I was, I was kind of like there for it. Like that was sort of mid tears, and I was like, "Bring it on, whatever." But <laughs> would love one, to hear other people's thoughts. <laughs> well, it's one thing that I think is interesting, especially as regards the, the you know, his conversation with um, with Stephanie at the pier at Atlantic City, is that this is such a, an emotionally. It's got so much pathos. It's it's really a barn burner of a scene emotionally for Mickey Rourke. But it, it to me feels a little underbaked. It feels a little bit like we don't get enough time for her to initially hate him the way that she does, which is entirely justified as a character, but then to come around on him the second time that he comes around and provides some gifts and then they have that conversation. It seems like it seems as though at that point, after his confession to her, this this admittedly teary and impacting, impactful confession of him having failed as a father, that she is very quick to forgive him given what we've seen. Yeah, I agree. There's not a whole lot of time to stretch out the full extent of that relationship. But I think what the movie does, I mean, the the last time that we see them together, she's like, you fucked up, I'm hurt. And it it's left at that. And I think that he doesn't ultimately get that reconciliation that he was really wanting. Yeah, no. The movie doesn't give that to him because I think, it's like, in a way, it's like, okay, yeah, you like that mo that reconciliation is not long enough, or like 
there might not even be a future, you know, in that relationship. It's he's he's tried to rush it because he recognizes he, his clock is ticking and he's pushing, pushing, pushing. And I think leaving it, them fighting and her being like, get the fuck out of my house is the movie's recognition. It's like that that's too much to put on her. Like mm-hmm. it's too short. I think also an interesting avenue for him to return ultimately as we've discussed in the synopsis he you know after these relationships fail whether that be with cassidy or with or with stephanie it it leaves him in a place where those relationships he was trying to bridge a gap between and rekindle are shattered and he he finds there's only one place that he can return to it is the embrace of, of people who know him as the ram rather than know him intimately because he has in a sense less to prove but also because that is more who he is at that point because he's abandoned those or not abandoned but neglected those kind of relationships and those dynamics in favor of that stardom yeah this is really complicated um you know i think that randy recognizes that the person who he he maybe not has always been but the person that he's been for so long it's become his personality is randy the ram and so he's worked so hard at building that relationship with his fans that like there is genuine love there. And, and I think that like, that's true. Like, you know, the, the way, like the, the, how fierce the fans were um, each time he was in the ring. And then also like his relationships with the people who booked the shows and, and other wrestlers. Like I, I do think that those relationships and, and that love is real. And so he figured, okay, this is the only thing I've ever been good at. So I'm going to go back there and at least they can accept me for who I am. And it, it makes me really sad that, and and it makes me think a lot about people in this position who, who use their body to like make a living and how it is so temporary and um, it comes at an extreme cost, not just with like personal relationships, but um, you know, the the relationships that he had with the kids in the the trailer park there was a part of me that was wondering like as much as he's taken the abuse to the body abuse to the head like i'm thinking about like what's going on up there what is his brain function um you know in a lot of research that they do they find you know people who get concussions a lot, people who take like a lot of hits to the, to the head, um, they don't have the, the mental abilities and capacities that they, of the age that they are. It somehow starts to regress. And I, I can't help but wonder if like that's something that also happened to him. And that can be really difficult to work through and to finally come up to like the, the consequences of your actions throughout your whole life and and finally realizing when it's towards the end, like, Oh shit, I really fucked up. Uh, And also Sam, yeah, to, to kind of tie back to uh, a little bit what you were speaking of as far as um, him having sort of a lost time to, to this profession and uh, the expense that it's had and the toll that it's had on some of his other relationships. One of the more memorable lines for me is, is right toward the end of the movie, right before the final match, when it's established that he's, he's, self-sabotage his relationship with his daughter because he misses this dinner because he decides uh, it's really poignant at first because he has this sort of like emotional freak out because of his situation with Cassidy. She sees him as a customer and therefore they can't be in a relationship, not only because she sets those boundaries professionally, but because 
he knows her as a stripper. He doesn't know who she actually is. Um, and therefore is, you know, attracted to, in her opinion, an illusion, which sort of demystifies him. He, he, he drives home to his trailer and then rather than spending the night alone in the trailer, he goes over to, uh, uh, an actual wrestling event. And though he can't participate, we see him absorbing it. We see him watching it. We see him reconnecting with people that he knows within that industry. And it feels like a familiar place for him in a way that's comforting at a difficult time. But then he falls into his old habits. He uh, starts doing coke. He starts drinking. He hooks up with this woman who has a firefighter fetish, <laughs> which is a wild scene. He wakes up in the bed and they're just fi- there's like firefighter pillowcase, sheets, posters <laughs> <laughs> he's wearing the firefighter boots and then he pulls back the towel and there's a ferret in a cage right next door and you can't help but wonder uh what happened with the ferret <laughs> it's such i don't a, know such why a bizarre but it's moment. Ferret, right oh and it's so comical and so bizarre it's really out of left field but because of this he's ruined his relationship with his daughter he he missed that uh, the dinner, the promised dinner that was very high stakes emotionally and they had their whole blowout. Um, and then in the end, he, he goes back to wrestling. He decides like, look, I've, I've lost everyone. I don't have anything except for my fans. And when Marissa Tomei Cassidy uh, comes to him or Pam uh, comes to him and like tries to express like, listen, I'm actually here. I'm here. You don't have to do this. You don't have to go and wrestle. You, you know, your heart is bad. You're probably going to hurt yourself, if not die. And he just he he delivers the line the only place i get hurt is out there because that is just the world that he has has found him this it's the only sanctuary he's found for himself after burning every bridge but still having crowds of anonymous people linger and cling to his glory days the same way that he does and it makes that final match all the more devastating do we think that was fair of cassidy to do to him I think, well, I think she's trying to save his life. So I think it's fair. Uh, I I think the emotional stakes are a bit complicated, but someone's got to tell him he doesn't have to go into that ring and kill himself. And she's the only person around anymore to do it. And she kind of makes a conscious choice to do it too. But uh, I don't know. It's, it is definitely complicated. I agree. But he, in the beginning of the movie, goes into her place of work and intervenes Mm -hmm. when she's, technically on the job. And so I think that there's also that those moments of like, this is what happens when like, or or it's, it's it's that like you're entering my space. I'm trying to do my thing Mm -hmm. and we're trying to work out what we have, but it's complicated because you're an outsider in this space of mine. And so we see kind of that back and forth between them but yeah, I, I guess at the end, it's sort of unfair to be like, don't go in there, I'm here. But I think it was also unfair of him to be like intervening in situations where she's like losing customers and like maybe subtly judging her, you know, for for what she's doing. And I think it's just their kind of back and forth and their dynamic. Mm-hmm. How, yeah, how there is perhaps something felt between them, but that there are two performative professions by juxtaposition to their age in relation to the rest of the world is a strain. And so uh, I, I suppose that's 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 the wrestler in essence. I mean, in the end, he he dives off the turnbuckle. Uh, it seems as though he's obviously in this match with the Ayatollah, who is is pretty clearly telling him, like, look, just pin me. 
we can call this a day. You don't have to keep performing in this way. It's the audience is already satisfied, but Randy won't have it. He has to go the extra mile because that's all he has. And it perhaps kills him. How do we feel when he dies off the turnbuckle at the end of the movie and we don't get a visual resolution or an answer? Do we feel that he made it or not? So something that I did not pick up on when I first watched it, but then was rewatching it. And I lately I've been really loving closed captions just to get like every little bit of detail. And you see it cut, you see his feet and then the roaring crowd cuts to black. And I see one, two, three, four. And I was like, wait, is there a resuscitation scene? And it's actually Bruce Springsteen counting in the wrestler song for the closing credits. But in that very moment, I was like, oh, maybe he is being resuscitated. But I was like, oh, maybe that's just a wonderful little counting moment that might suggest like a defibrillator or whatever, like counting in or, or something like that. But or I by know, contrast, just... the one, two, three being the pin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or that's a nice. But there is a four, a... so you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I also don't know how many counts you do for clear on the defibrillator. <laughs> but uh, that was just something that I kind of jolted me at first, and then I was like, "Oh no!" And then cue Bruce Springsteen. Cue some more tears, and. Then... Uh. <laughs> Well, and also, yeah, Bruce Springsteen providing um, that song. I, I got a note about that, too. Evidently, because of the small budget, there wasn't much left over for music licensing. However, Axl Rose and Bruce Springsteen were both fans of Rourke and the script. So uh, Rose allowed that sweet child of mine be used free of charge. And Springsteen wrote the titular closing track, an original for the movie Pro Bono. Wow. But at any rate, uh, yeah, what, uh, Sam and Connor, what, what do you think? How do you think this movie ends? Or Christine, is it important that we don't know? Christine, you've like, I, I feel like rocked my like cinematic understanding with when we were talking about uh, ambiguous endings like months ago. Like that idea is like not left me of like, what does it mean to have an ambiguous ending? Like I've, I feel like I've just been really enjoying the ambiguous ending. And I think it ends perfectly because that's him standing in the corner adorning cheer doing the like out slapping the elbow thing oh, that's when um, i really start crying yeah and he's just like he sealed his fate he's decided there's no going back after he climbs on this thing and dives on this other human being like he's probably dead or dying shortly thereafter this wrestling match and so i think it's it ends where it ends because the conflict was will he leave this life can he make amends can he be randy and not the ram movie ends and he's the ram till he dies and so i think the movie doesn't need to go any further and i think it's just a great a great character moment to end on because a plot moment would be inferior it's a very good way to put it yeah yeah i really uh, agree with that and i guess the only thing i would add is i hope it ended how he wanted it to Mm. yeah and uh i mean at the end of the movie and as we discussed, uh, you know, it was pretty universally critically acclaimed. Uh, audience scores is, is pretty much through the roof for this movie. Um, but while the critical and audience reception was pretty favorable, the reaction of the professional wrestling industry was pretty varied. So pro wrestling manager and promoter Jim Cornette was highly critical of the film's depressing portrayal of the profession. And WWE Hall of Famer Brett the Hitman Hart enjoyed Rick's uh, enjoyed um, Rourke's performance, but called the film, quote, a dark misinterpretation of the business. 
Uh, others, on the other hand, within the industry, have praised film's vision with uh, WWE pro wrestler Mick Foley, who, by the way, is a national treasure, uh, saying of the film, within five minutes, I had completely forgotten I was looking at Mickey Rourke. That guy on the screen simply was Randy the Ram Robinson. Um, also, uh, the late Hall of Famer and actor Rowdy Roddy Piper was reportedly moved to tears by the film, saying that he was, quote, so psyched the story was finally being told. So a pretty mixed reception. And uh, I think uh, pretty telling uh, how that reception was mixed. I think those with still active within the industry and industry regulars themselves uh, were pretty quick to decry the tone of the film. But uh, at the same time, though many of those performers who are still in this industry have been well taken care of, making lengthy careers of their characters, uh, some even ascending to professional acting like uh, The Rock or uh, John Cena. A number of these guys, though, have been lost in the shuffle to substance abuse, poverty, to chronic pain and injury, uh, including Sam, as you alluded to earlier, CTE, uh, that uh, compounded uh, concussive uh, degeneration of the brain. Uh, critics of the profession have also cited cases such as Jake the Snake Roberts, who descended into but eventually overcame substance addiction, or that of Chris Benoit, who, due to chronic brain damage in the then WWF Attitude Era and regular steroid use, murdered his wife and children before taking his own life in their family home. So it's it's yeah, I, I suppose the takeaway ultimately one way or the other is that this is. Pro wrestling is uh, something that is uh, objectively fixed, uh, is objectively written, but that the toll that and uh, and the damage that these people are infl- uh, are have inflicted upon them as professionals is very very real and very very lasting and impactful. Uh, so much so that in the film, one scene that I really love is the dark physical reality and the toll of the profession on grim display at that fan signing event. Not only are there dwindling fans, but uh, those present are who, who've been aren't, aren't part of the industry anymore. They're doing these fan signings, are wheelchair bound. They're on crutches. One has a colostomy bag. Uh, it's you know it's it's serious business, and I I think that's why I deeply respect professional wrestling over things like boxing or MMA or MMA is that uh, these guys do have a very real love for each other and a very real camaraderie to the point that it is borderline non-competitive. They are all in on the script, but they are all also willing to give their all for their fans, especially people like Mick Foley, uh, especially people like Rowdy Roddy Piper and uh, figures like uh, Randy the Ram. So for me as a professional wrestling fan, in spite of some of my better judgment, I think is uh, is really powerful and really impactful and uh, really rings true to a lot of the reality of that industry when folks aren't able to continue uh, sailing through a profitable and well-cared-for career. So a very complex film of something of a downer, but one that I was really happy to have discussed with you guys. I mean, it's Darren Aronofsky film. It's not going to be a happy movie, but it's, I, I think it's best uh, cinematically also because it doesn't, it, it's not like his other films where it's, it's very heavily stylized. Um, it is more matter of fact, more lived in, more uh, almost documentary style uh, and appropriately so in capturing a very specific story uh, with some broader emotional and also uh, industry-based implications. Uh, yeah, Aronofsky is uh, across the board, like explores some really dark thematic material and just takes his stories into some really intense places. But I, I really think this movie 
has the most heart of any of his films. I definitely agree with that. Any other sort of final thoughts on The Wrestler? It's on Hulu, so it's very easy to watch as of this recording. Um, so I, I, it's one I definitely recommend checking out. I'm not too familiar with Aronofsky's body of work. Can't say I'm like terribly interested in most of his other films, um, but I was excited to watch this one. Uh, and one uh, definitely like worthwhile watch and one that will definitely leave me thinking about its themes and its characters for quite a while. Well, that will leave us out for this week. Uh, of course, you can always feel free to reach us uh, through our socials, that being Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On Twitter, it's Butter with that one, so look out for that. Uh, also, if you want to send us an email, uh, that's Butter with that podcast at gmail.com. We love reading emails, and we'd love to hear what you guys have to say. We also, of course, love and are very thankful for the Movie John Podcast Network and all the subsequent podcasts involved. Uh, some of whom we've collaborated with before. So go back and check out those episodes or go check out our collaborations with them on their episodes because there's been a lot of crossover and we're looking forward to more of that down the road. We're also looking forward to more fighting and family next week. Uh, that will be a very interesting conversation as I'm sure Christine will be bringing us something uh, so, something interesting. Is that correct? Is it going to be interesting? Yeah, uh, of <laughs> course. <laughs> Good. So great plug for next week. <laughs> it's going to be the best episode ever. <laughs> but of course, we'll be here next week. Uh, we hope you folks will join us then. But until then, uh, try to take it easy on your family. Try to hold back some of those punches and uh, join us next week as we continue fighting and family. But until then, of course, thank you as always and have a good whatever.